so much. Thank you, Aaron. But let me tell you the real reason why Aaron wanted me to teach this weekend. He was very specific about this weekend. Not last weekend, not next weekend. He was specific, specific about this weekend. And it wasn't until I was looking at my notes last night and my wife said, you know tomorrow's time change weekend, right? And I said, no, that's next weekend. That's the 18th. She said, no, it's tomorrow. And then all of a sudden it came together. That's why Aaron wanted me to teach this weekend because he wanted to sleep in and not have to worry about a message. So, but no, I am very happy to be here with all of you. And this is a topic that um, I have given a lot of thought to. I, I do look forward uh, to the opportunity to teach on it. And the reason why is because the topic that we are taking a look at today, which is really the topic of God and government, Christians in the political realm, uh, it strikes me that never before, in, in my lifetime at least, has this topic been more important than it is right now. And that's because, quite honestly, never before has this topic been more heated and more controversial than it is right now. In fact, according to a lot of the Christian voices that I listen to, they have made the observation that the number one issue that is dividing Christians and churches these days is not doctrine, it's politics. And anecdotally, I have seen that to be the case. It's been a long time uh, since I have received an email from a visitor to our church in Yorba Linda asking where we stand on a doctrinal issue. Regularly, however, I receive emails asking where we stand on political issues. And I want to make it clear here today, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. As, as people who do take the Bible to be the Word of God, as, as Aaron said, uh, we believe the Bible teaches us that our whole lives need to be lived in a way that honors God. And living our whole lives in a way that honors God, it affects more than just what we believe about the Trinity or the nature of Jesus' sacrificial death. It, it also affects what we believe about issues that are at the front of the quote-unquote political realm. Said another way, topics like abortion and sex and sexuality and race, just to name a few very uncontroversial issues. These are not just political issues to us Christians. These are also theological issues. They are doctrinal issues. And I do find these days a lot of Christians understand that. Uh, I am seeing in the Christians I talk to a lot of care and concern and a burden about the, the conversation regarding these issues in the political realm these days. And generally speaking, just a lot of care and concern, a burden about what is going on in politics and what is going on in our government and so on. And if I can say it, I do think some of the care and the concern and the burden, it, it comes as a result of just this extraordinary season that we have just come out of. You know, for better or for worse, I think ultimately for better, but for better or for worse, uh, COVID was a very eye-opening experience, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, putting aside today the conversations about whether or not it was justified, I and mean, we have just seen a side of our government I don't think we have ever seen before. We have seen our government flex its power in a way that we have never seen before. And that flexing of power from our government, it had a direct effect on us Christians. For the first time in my lifetime, we had literal laws telling us that we could not meet as God's people. And again, whether or not those laws were justified, I, I do think this experience has left a, an indelible mark on many Christians. It just feels like we have sort of entered into some new territory. But while I find that a lot of Christians are agreed on the fact that there is a rapidly changing political environment around us, where I do find there's a lot of disagreement these days among Christians is on how exactly to respond to that rapidly changing political environment. And that's why I really do believe that one of the most important questions for us Christians in our day and age is as people who seek to honor God in everything that we do, how do we honor God even in how we respond? To the changing political environment around us? And how do we honor God and how we respond to those in, in positions of governmental authority over us, especially 
when at times it feels like so many of them see the world so differently than us and at times it feels like want to use their influence in order to get us to see things their way. Said another way and a little bit more succinctly, I think one of the most important questions for us Christians in our day and age is what is the relationship that God desires us, his people, to have with our government and those in authority over us? How are we supposed to think about all of that? Well, that is where our passage in Romans chapter 13 that we're looking at today, that's where it helps us out so much. The first seven verses of Romans 13 provide for us in our Bible the longest sustained treatment that we have in Scripture on this topic of God and government and our response as Christians to it. And so it's a very relevant passage in our day and age. That being said, what we find in the first seven verses of Romans 13 is not the only thing that the Bible says on this subject. And that's what's going to lead to the somewhat unique way I'm going to approach this message uh, here today. As I was thinking about how to teach this, uh, I decided because this is so important and because there are so many diverging views out there these days, rather than work through this passage verse by verse, which is what I normally would want to do, instead what I want to do here today is I want to take a step back and I almost want to give what might be called like a theological summary on what the Bible says on this particular subject. And so the way it's going to work today is this. Uh, rather than, again, work through this uh, passage verse by verse, what I'm going to share with you today is I'm going to share with you four theological truths that the whole Bible, not just Romans 13, but the whole Bible teaches us on this topic. Now, as you will see in these four truths, I will cover all of our verses in Romans 13 today, the first seven verses. But I just feel like it's important to deal with this subject a little bit more systematically in order to provide a little bit more clarity to what is a very important subject. So I say all that to say, just to warn you a couple of things ahead of time. One, and you may already get this feeling, but today may feel at times a little bit more like a seminary lecture than a church service, but Aaron told me you're all really, really smart, so that's okay, you can hang with it. And then the second thing I wanna let you know and warn you about is that today's message does clock in at about four and a half hours. And so I have <laughs> instructed Aaron to lock the doors and no, I'm just kidding, we will get out on time. But I am gonna throw quite a bit at you in a short amount of time. So I wanna let you know that I did preach this message a couple of weeks ago in Yorba Linda. And if you go on friends.church and cl click on the Yorba Linda uh, page, and you go to where the messages are posted for the Yorba Linda, you will find a PDF handout that I put together of all the points and all the scripture references I am using. So if you want to just sit back and listen today, you can and not take notes, and then you can have access to all of that afterwards. But what exactly does the Bible teach us about God and government and our response to it? Well, as I said, there are four truths I'm going to share with you. I'll unfold them one at a time. And as you'll see in this first one, we are definitely going to hit the ground running. The first truth is this. According to the Bible, government is both an institution ordained by God and an institution susceptible to sinful and even demonic influences. According to the Bible, government is both an institution ordained by God and an institution susceptible to sinful and even demonic influences. Now, what in the world do I mean by this? Well, let me explain. You know, in a lot of the Christians that I talk to today about this subject, I find that there is a tension that many Christians feel within them. And the tension is, on one hand, there is this desire that we as God's people have to honor our government, to obey our government, to honor those in authority over us, even when we don't necessarily agree with them. There is a desire that many Christians have to be good citizens. But on the other hand, there is also this desire I have seen many Christians have, or at least this awareness, 
that we can't always and we shouldn't always do everything that our government asks us to do. And so there is this tension. On the one hand, we have this desire to honor our government, but on the other hand, we have this desire at times even to be suspicious of our government. Now, where does that tension come from? Well, believe it or not, that tension comes from the very pages of Scripture itself. Because on one hand, the Bible is very clear about this. Do do you know who came up with the idea of government in the first place? And do you know where all the governments of this earth, do you know where they ultimately get their power and authority from? The Bible is clear. All of this comes from God. In fact, that's the first point that Paul really makes in this passage. Look with me at the first couple of verses of Romans 13. Here Paul talks about how it's none other than God himself who establishes the governments of this earth. Romans 13, 1 and 2, Paul says this. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Verse 2, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority excuse me, is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. We'll stop right there. And what I want to point out about those first two verses there is no less than three times in those two verses does Paul make the point that ultimately government comes from God. You see that, for example, in the middle of verse 1, Paul says there is no authority except that which God has established. You see it at the end of verse 1. Paul says that the authorities that exist have been established by God. And then you see that in the middle of verse 2. Paul says whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And what Paul says here is very, very powerful. He is saying that behind every government of this earth sits in some way God. It's God who came up with the idea of government, and it's God who gives the governments of this earth their power. I mean, that is a very high view of government. And by the way, that high view of government, it doesn't just stop in verse 2. Probably the the most uh, surprising thing to me as I was studying this passage, is the language that Paul uses to refer to those who work for government. Do you know what Paul calls those who work for government in this passage? In our day and age, our president, our senators, our politicians, our civil servants, and so on? Well, three times in this passage, he calls them God's servants. You see that twice in verse 4, and again in verse 6, he calls them the servants of God. And just so you know, the Greek word translated servants there is the same Greek word that is used to to translate priests in the Old Testament in our Bible and pastors in the New Testament. And so what Paul says here is extraordinary. He says that those who work for government, again, our president, our senators, our politicians, our civil servants, they are no less servants of God. They are no less ministers of God than, than Aaron and I am. I mean, that's extraordinary. And may I remind you that when Paul is writing the book of Romans, he does not have exactly a model government in power over him. I mean, at the very best, the Roman Empire at the time of Paul was inept. At worst, it was evil at times. I mean, it was sinister. And yet Paul says that those who work for the Roman Empire are literally the servants of God. And so on the one hand, the Bible gives us a very high view of government and those who work for government. But on the other hand, the Bible also makes it clear that governments can, governments do, and indeed governments will go wrong. 
As I worded it in this first statement, the Bible also makes it clear that government is an institution susceptible to sinful and even demonic influences. And this is what we will see, for example, at the end of time. You know, one of the questions I get asked a lot in your Orlando, and I think it's because I did an online revelation study a few years ago, but the question I get asked is, hey, Pastor Chris, do you think we're living in the end of the end times? Do you think we're living in the last of the last days? And I don't know why I get this question so much, because I feel like I've made my views on this very, very clear. So let me tell you all what my belief on this is. I want you to write this down, so if anybody from your Belinda asks me, I can send them to you, okay? And you can tell them. So this is my belief on this. Are we living in the end times? My definitive answer is this. Maybe, okay? Maybe we are, maybe we aren't. I don't know if we are living in the end of the end times. And by the way, if anyone tells you that they're knowing, they're lying. Because the Bible makes it clear that the only way that we will know for certain that we are living in the last of the last days is when the Antichrist appears. And unless I've missed it, he has not appeared yet. So I don't know if we are living in the end times, but here's what I do know. When we get to the end of the end times, one of the key characteristics of that time is that it is going to be a period of intense persecution for the Christians who are on this earth at that time. And one of the distinguishing features of this persecution is that this is going to be a state-sanctioned, government-sponsored persecution. In other words, the persecution we Christians experience at the end of time is not going to be at the hand of some rogue citizens who decide to turn on us. No, it's going to come from the top. It is the government who's going to round us Christians up and throw us into prison. And behind all of that is going to sit this Antichrist figure who the Bible suggests he's going to be a government official. He's going to be maybe a president, maybe a prime minister, maybe an elected official who is the embodiment of Satan here on this earth. And so, so much of the evil that we are going to see at the end of time, it is going to come from the hands of our government. And so, even that's going to be a part of God's plan, but I say all that to say that this tension that we feel within us When it comes to government, that tension is all over the Bible. Because on the one hand, it is God who ordains government. It's God who gives the governments of this earth the power and the authority that they have. But on the other hand, the Bible tells us that the governments of this earth are capable of immense evil that obviously God does not agree with. And not only will we see that at the end of time, but we've also seen that throughout history. And by the way, our brothers and sisters in countries like China and North Korea They are seeing that right now as we speak. So there is this interesting tension that we find as it relates to government. And that's my my first point. But this point, of course, raises a question. And the question at this point raises is, okay, if government is capable of so much evil, then, then why does God still allow it? Why does God want the nations of this earth to form a government and have authority structures over it? Why does God want that to happen? Well, that's my second point, and it's another major teaching of Romans 13, and that is this. God has ordained government primarily as a means to maintain peace and administer justice within a nation. God has ordained government primarily as a means to maintain peace and administer justice within a nation. Let me explain this one. You know, one of the questions that scholars have asked over the years is they've asked the question, why does Paul all of a sudden start talking about government in Romans 13? If you read through the book of Romans, this this passage at times, it can feel a little bit out of place. So why does he decide to address this issue? 
Well, the answer likely becomes uh, is because of something that Paul said at the end of Romans chapter 12. And I think you looked at this a couple of weeks ago. But one of the points that Paul makes at the end of Romans chapter 12 is he makes the point that as Christians, we are to not seek revenge against those who do wrong to us. This is what Paul said in Romans 12, 19. He says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And so Paul tells us here that we are not to seek revenge. But there is a question that comes out of that verse. And the question is, how far are we to take this? I mean, is Paul saying that we can't have law enforcement? Is Paul saying that even government can't punish wrongdoers? Is that how far we're supposed to take this? Well, the answer to that question is absolutely not. And that is probably one of the reasons why Paul decides to talk about government here in Romans 13. You see, what Paul wants to make clear is that although individually we as Christians are not to seek revenge against those who do wrong to us, that doesn't mean that government can't punish those who do wrong. And in fact, what Paul wants to make clear is he wants to make clear that that is actually the primary reason why God has given us government. It's to punish those who do wrong. This is what the point that Paul makes in verses 3 and 4. Look with me there. Paul writes this. He says, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And here's what's going on in this passage, okay? You know, uh, our God, he is a God of grace and love. Absolutely he is. But our God is also, and I don't think this gets emphasized enough these days, but our God is also a God of order. And he's a God of justice. See, God loves this world, and he wants this world to thrive. And one of the things that God knows is he knows that this world cannot thrive if it is descended into anarchy and chaos where anybody can do anything they want and get away with it. So how does God ensure that doesn't happen? Well, God knows the human nature better than anybody. And what God knows is he knows, especially for people not transformed by the Holy Spirit, he knows that sometimes the only thing that will keep people in line, sometimes the only thing that will keep people in order is the threat of punishment for wrongdoing. I think here of my three kids, okay? Sometimes the only thing that will keep my kids in line is the threat of consequences if they don't do what it is that we want them to do. Well, human nature works that way. And so, going back to the question that I asked earlier, with all the wrong that governments are capable of, why does God still want nations to have them? Why does God want structures of authority over countries? Well, Paul tells us here, governments have been created by God to act as his divine instrument to ensure peace and administer justice in this world. That is, according to Romans 13, that is the primary reason why God has given us government. And this is, by the way, why I think we Christians are to value highly our military and our police officers and the like. And I don't know if any of you here are in the military or if any of you here are uh, in law enforcement, but I just want to personally thank you for the service that you give to our country because you are absolutely doing God's work and we need you and we are grateful for you. So thank you for what you do. Yes, absolutely. So no, government is not perfect. But government does form, perform a vital role 
in God's purposes for this world. And that's what leads to my third point. And this is then the response that we are to have towards government. And that is this. When not in conflict with God's word, our regular response to government is to submit to it as an institution ordained by God. When not in conflict with God's word, our regular response to government is to submit to it as an institution ordained by God. Paul makes this point twice in this passage. Once at the beginning of verse 1, he says, let everyone be subject to governing authorities. And then in verse 5, he says this, he says, therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. And you see in verse 5, he uses that word submit, and the Greek word submit literally means to come under the authority of. And that is the response in scripture that we are to have to our government. And specifically in Scripture, there are two ways that we show that we come under the authority of our government as Christians. The first way is this. It's that God wants us to be law-abiding citizens. And this is just a really important point. Whenever our government passes a law, as long as obeying that law does not require us to go against God's Word, and I'll talk more about that in a second, but as long as obeying that law does not require us to go against God's word, God would have us follow the laws of our nation. As inane as some of our laws are, and sometimes here in California they're pretty inane, right? God would have us be law-abiding citizens. That's the first way that we show we submit to government. And then the second way the Bible tells us that we carry out this call to submit to government is quite simply, the Bible tells us that as Christians, we are to pay our taxes. And all God's people said, ugh, right? But this is exactly what Paul himself says. You see this in verses 6 and 7. Paul says this. He says, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servant who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And what Paul says here is really clear, right? Since those who work for government are servants of God, and since they have given their full time to an institution ordained by God, we should be willing to support them financially, just like with our pastors. And the way that we do that is through paying our taxes. So those are the two ways that we show that we submit to government as God's people. And really what, what Paul says, it just comes down to this. God wants us to be good citizens. He wants us to be good citizens of the nations in which we live. I love how Paul puts it in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. We'll put these verses on the screen. This is also on that handout, by the way. But Paul says this. He says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. And I love especially what he says at the beginning of verse 2 when he says that we are to slander no one and we are to be peaceable and considerate. And if I can say it, brothers and sisters, I think we need a lot more of that these days when it comes to the political realm, especially from us Christians. You know, there was an incident that happened a couple of weeks ago that just broke my heart. Uh, my kids and Aaron's kids, uh, they attend Friends Christian School, which is a school that's attached to our Yorba Linda campus. And every week at Friends Christian, they have a, a chapel for all the kids. And this is for first through fourth graders on, on our campus. And a couple of weeks ago, they were having a President's Day chapel. And for this President's Day Chapel, they showed a video of the pictures of all of our presidents throughout our nation's history. Well, when the pictures of President Obama and President Biden appeared on the screen, 
you know what these six through 10 year olds did? They booed. They booed our president. And when I heard that, that just broke my heart because I thought, where, where are our kids learning that behavior from? And it's clear, they're, they're not learning it from reading the Wall Street Journal or watching Tuck, Tucker Carlson every night. Maybe some of them are, right? No, but where are they learning that from? They're learning that from us. They're learning that from their parents. And I just don't believe that's right. You know, do, I, do I agree with everything our current president does? Absolutely not. I don't agree with everything that I do. How can I agree with everything that our president does? But my disagreements with our president does not absolve me of my God-given responsibility to honor him, to not slander him, and to pray for him. And that's why I know I'm on shaky ground here as a guest speaker, but if I could just encourage, especially you parents, towards something. Many of you probably have a prayer that you say before dinner at night and so on with your family. Can I just encourage you? Think about adding a prayer for our leaders as a part of that prayer, and specifically for President Biden. And just to say something like this, God, would you please be with our leaders and would you give them the wisdom and the courage to govern according to your will? In Jesus' name, amen. Not only will that teach, I believe, a valuable lesson to our kids, but who knows what God will do with prayers like that. And so we are to be good citizens of the nations in which we live. We are to honor and respect those in authority over us. Now that being said, of course, that doesn't mean that we can do everything that our government tells us to do. And that's my fourth and final point, and it is this. When government asks or requires us to do something that would violate God's word, and by the way, it will at some point, our obligation is to God and not to government. When government asks or requires us to do something that would violate God's word, and it will, our obligation is to God and not to government. If you are taking notes, you may want to write this reference next to Romans 13 and it's Acts chapter 5, verse 29. It's a very important verse for our day and age. The context of this verse is the apostles have just been told by their governing authorities that they can no longer preach about Jesus, and their response is legendary. It says, Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. And that is such an important statement for us in our day and age. Listen. God wants us to be good Christians, and he wants us to be good citizens. As long as we can be both at the same time, great. That's what God wants us to do. But if ever being a good citizen would require us to not be a good Christian, would require us to go against something that God's word says, then our responsibility is clear. Our responsibility is towards God, and it's not towards anybody else. That's the choice that we have to make. And let me say this, okay? I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I do work for a nonprofit, but let me say this, okay? That's a, that's a pretty lame joke, I know. But I do believe that we need to be prepared to, to make these sorts of choices, even in our own nation. We need to be prepared to take a stand for our beliefs, no matter what the cost. I recently just finished reading a book that, among other things, it was about the failure of the church in Germany in the lead-up to World War II to speak against Hitler and all that he was doing. Uh, every indication was that the church in Germany knew a lot of what was going on, but they failed to take a stand. And that's just tragic, isn't it? You think of the millions of lives that could have been saved if God's church had, had taken a stand in the way that God wanted them to do. Well, we can't make that same mistake. We have to be prepared to take a stand for God's truth no matter what the consequences. But let me also say this, okay? Even how we take a stand requires care. 
Because as we stand for the truth, we also cannot forget our God-given responsibility to love those around us. And we can't forget our God-given responsibility, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, to even bless those who persecute us. Because one of the things that we recognize as God's people is we recognize that anybody who is against us, they are not the enemy. They are captives of the enemy. And the way that we set them free is not by fighting fire with fire or insult with insult. No, the way we set them free is by fighting fire with love and mercy and acts of service and acts of compassion. And so I think, for example, of some of the stuff that's taking place in our school system these days and some of the things that they want to teach our kids. I believe as Christians we need to protect our children and we need to take a stand against those things. But... We need to do so with grace and love and mercy, even as we declare the truth of what we believe. We stand up for what is right, no matter what the cost, and we do so blessing everyone around us, including our enemies, and we do so never fearing the implications or the consequences. And that's what I want to leave you with today. You know, one of the things I'm seeing is is there is a lot of fear I'm seeing from Christians these days, especially when it comes to government and the political realm and so on. And I think this fear, it manifests itself sometimes as anger, it manifests itself as anxiety, it manifests itself as heated discussions on Facebook and the like. But I think ultimately what sits behind it is fear. But let me tell you something. We as Christians, what do we have to fear? What do we have to be afraid of? We are children of the Most High God. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is nothing that we have to fear. And it's when we realize that and when we truly comprehend that, that's what sets us free, free to live and to walk in truth and in love, no matter what the consequences. And if I could say it, there, there are some Christians today, they seem so concerned to me about what's going to happen in the next election or what's going to happen, the next decision that's going to come out of our Supreme Court or, or who's going to occupy the White House, that they're forgetting about the white horse. And some of you know what I'm talking about. That white horse that Jesus is going to ride in on when he returns to this world and he sets up his kingdom that will endure forever. And in that moment, all the things that we were so fearful of, all the things that we were so concerned about, they're just not going to matter anymore. It's like that old hymn, right? And Lord hates the day. Thank you. Yes. I'm, I'm trying to build to a very moving conclusion right now. So let me, let me do that, okay? It's like that old hymn. And Lord, haste the day when our face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. That's where we fix our eyes, and that's where our hope is found. We have nothing to fear. As God's word says, God is for us, right? So who can be against us? That's why I will not spend my life fearing what man can do to me. I'm going to live my life for Jesus and for his sake and his kingdom. And I know that you all want to as well. And listen, that is all I have. So I know Aaron's going to come up now and he's going to mess, clean up any mistakes that I made and messes that I made. But thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you here today.